Today on Blue 58, in a year highlighted by inconsistency and lackluster play, the Packers needed a big win on the road to lock up the NFC North. And that is exactly what they got. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here celebrating an NFC North championship. It feels pretty good. And I'm pretty happy to be wrong. I honestly thought the Vikings were going to take this one. They looked like a pretty solid team coming in. The Packers were just better tonight. They withstood an awful, awful start and uh, pulled away down the stretch. They looked pretty darn good in this one. Let's dive into how it happened. First and foremost, this is a defensive victory. The defense absolutely wrecked shop in this one. If you're looking for playoff caliber defense, this seemed like playoff caliber defense to me. Now, we have to add the caveat that Minnesota did have some limited weapons in this one. Dalvin Cook, out. Uh, Alexander Madison, out. Adam Thielen, still very obviously hurt uh, or playing at less than 100%. But the Packers beat up the guys that were out there in a pretty significant way. Uh, Mike Patton didn't even have to rush more than just the defensive line practically at all against the Vikings. They were just that dominant up front. And of course, Zadarius Smith doing the most work. Three and a half sacks, five tackles for loss, and absolutely outstanding dominant performance. He rushed from the outside. He rushed from the three technique. He rushed from straight up over the center. He came from everywhere, and there was nothing the Vikings could do to stop him. I, I wanted to look and see if there had ever been a performance in Packers history similar to this one. <laughs> I found one, unfortunately. That takes a little bit of shine off of off of Zedaria Smith's uh, achievement. Uh, tackles for loss have only been a fi- an official stat for the NFL since 1999. And in that span, only one other Packers player has had at least three sacks and five tackles for loss. It was A.J. Hawk in 2013 against the Bills. That doesn't make it seem nearly as impressive, which I guess should tell you exactly how impressive it was. Nobody other than A.J. Hawk in a fluke afternoon against a really awful team in 2013 has been able to do what's Darius Smith. Uh, this is just the eighth time in Packers history since sacks became an official stat in 1982 that a Packers player has had three and a half sacks or more. So Z is in pretty elite company there. I had actually two people, and I felt super proud about this uh, for the, the work that our listeners are doing, text and ask about production ratio. What did this do to Zadarius Smith's production ratio for the season? Uh, he got a big jump, as you might guess. He had uh, eight and a half plays that would count into his his production ratio in this one with the three and a half sacks and five tackles for loss. So that bumped his production ratio all the way up to 2.03. He had been sitting at 1.57 coming into this game. We say anything over one is good. Anything over one and a half is is elite or very good to elite. Over two is just like absolutely insane levels. If you're producing that at that level, you're in, in truly pretty rare air there. That's That's fairly uncommon to see even among college players to get to two for a season. And Zedaria Smith is up there uh, for this year in the NFL. Kenny Clark should get a mention too. He was he was making things difficult for the Vikings up the up the middle. And it was good to see again him get a measurable stat uh, to go into the box score. I think a lot of his performance this year 
has been underappreciated because he it didn't have the counting stats. But he is up to six sacks on the season now. That is a that is a tie or that ties his career high, which he set last year. It's good to see him performing, and he is about to make a lot of money. Overall, I think this is the sort of performance that's going to travel for the Packers defense. What I mean by that is this is the sort of thing that you should be able to replicate. Not everybody's offensive line is going to have as bad an afternoon or evening as the Vikings did today. But if you're getting pressure with just your front four and you're able to do some creative things in the secondary, that's something you can duplicate. As long as you're getting that pressure up front, you can you can figure out a way to be a good defense on the back end. The big question, obviously, as as I just kind of mentioned there, is whether or not you'll be able to consistently get that kind of pressure with just your front four. A fair question, and there's really only one way to find out, and that's to wait and see. It, it's it's hard to say if you're going to be able to do that. I wish Mike Pettin was a little bit more willing to, to bring a little bit of extra pressure when those front four rushers weren't necessarily doing quite as well. But, hey, if we, if we got to fault him for one thing, I guess not being overly aggressive with the blitz is is a relatively harmless thing um especially if the packers are getting pressure the way they have been with their with just their their front four also worth pointing out and i don't really have an overarching point then with this other than that it's it's weird minnesota was doing some bizarre stuff on offense so they have that third and four and decide to run their their version of the Philly special play, the mini special, where Stephon Diggs ends up throwing to Kirk Cousins, who was open. And it also looked like Diggs could have run for the first down if he wanted to. Uh, but they they end up overthrowing Kirk Cousins, uh, streaking very very slowly down the down the sideline. So an incomplete pass there, and they end up punting or turning the ball over on downs. Actually, I believe. And then later in the game, uh, they're facing another third down, third and relatively short, and they decide to run with Adam Thielen. I guess you're trying to get him a little bit involved in, in the offense or, or whatever, but that doesn't seem like the time or the place or the way to do that. He didn't get the yards they needed, and they end up hunting there too. I don't have an overall point, like I said, with that, but it was just weird to see and, and strange decision-making for an offense that had been fairly consistent throughout the year so far. On offense, other than the absolutely disastrous start, I think this was a pretty good game for the Packers' offense. There's a lot to be said for taking what's there until you have an opportunity to bust it wide open. Hoping that you will get that opportunity is not always the best strategy, but if you're playing with a defense that's playing the way the Packers' defense was tonight, that plan gets a little bit more viable. I was reminded, looking at how the Vikings defense was playing tonight, of something I read long ago about kind of the purpose of the the, the Tampa 2 cover 2 defense. The idea, one of the, the key ideas behind that defensive scheme was to get the offense to take a long time to get down the field. You're willing to concede five or seven yard plays, but nothing more than that, because you're always going to get to the ball as quickly as you can and make sure that they don't get yards after the catch so that they have to string together a lot of five to seven to eight yard plays to get down the field and get into range for some points. You're counting on the idea that eventually they're going to either make enough mistakes that their drive bogs down or you're going to be able to force them into a mistake like an interception or a sack or something that's really going to screw up their drive. 
it seemed like that was a little bit what the Vikings were doing tonight. I don't, I, I can't say from the TV copy what exactly they were doing on defense, but it seemed just from the wide angles that they were shooting, showing that the, uh, the Vikings were trying to drop guys deep and make sure that Aaron Rodgers was taking things underneath. And that's kind of what they did. But the Packers were able to successfully take just what was there until they got an opportunity. And Kevin King's interception finally gave that opportunity, and then they went down and scored. Overall, they did a, just a great job of sustaining those drives. Because if, if you're going to make any headway against a defense that just wants you to, to chew up plays and clock and whatever, you've got to at least be willing to oblige them that. You have to put up those, those long, sustained drives. The Packers did that tonight. They had seven drives of six plays or more. They didn't necessarily turn them all into points, but they they managed to move the ball consistently. And eventually good things are going to start happening for you if you can do that. They only had three drives of three plays or less. They had uh, the first fumble drive right off the bat. You had the Aaron Rodgers interception drive, and then you had one traditional three and out. So really, they were not getting off the field too quickly at all, and I think that that helped them overall quite a bit. They did have quite a few scoring drives. They had three field goals, uh, and then they broke things open with the touchdowns. But really, they just managed to move the ball consistently, and it paid off for them in the long term. This game felt different on offense, um, and I think one significant way. For the first time all season, it felt in this game like there was a game plan that extended beyond the first 15 or 20 plays of the game. Because that's always been the knock on the Packers offense this year. You've got those first 15 or 20 scripted plays, and then the offense kind of bogs down when you run out of stuff that you had planned coming into the game. This didn't feel like that at all. It seemed like there was a game plan that could be maintained throughout the entire game. What was that game plan? Well, taking what's there, starting with Devontae Adams. Uh, If Devontae is open, right on the line, get him the ball and just let him work and see what you can come up with. He was targeted 16 times in this one. Uh, Then you want to get plays from whoever else is going to give them to you. Alan Lazard happened to be that guy tonight. He came up big, especially on third downs. At least, I think, three of them he converted for the Packers. Could have been more, but he was coming up with a a couple, two, three, (laughs) a couple, two, three, if we we really go Wisconsin, uh, third down conversions. And then you want to keep going to Aaron Jones, even if it's not necessarily getting big results. He got 25 touches total in this game. Then it finally did get some big results. He had a nice uh, touchdown run um, and then broke it open with the big, long 56-yard touchdown run, sprung in part by a block by Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Ultimately, not a lot of explosive plays for the Packers in this one, but most importantly, other than those turnovers, they didn't screw it up. I have to give Booger McFarland a little bit of credit for kind of a weird observation that turned out to almost be prescient. Uh, In the first half, shortly before halftime, he said something that sounded ridiculous on its face. He said, other than the turnovers, the Packers are actually dominating this game. It sounded weird, given that the Packers were losing at the time, that they turned the ball over three times, but it actually kind of turned out to to be right. The Packers were playing absolutely dominant on defense, and when they started putting things together on offense, the score really reflected who was the better team in that game. And it was the Packers. And uh, yeah, Booger is right. Other than the turnovers, the Packers dominated that game. And now they are NFC North champions as a result. 
this was a bit of a departure from what we've seen from the Packers when they've had to lean on Aaron Rodgers in the past. Previously, when Aaron throws, Aaron Rodgers throws the ball a bunch but doesn't generate a lot of yards, the Packers have lost. They have been 0-5 in the Rodgers era when he throws the ball 40 or more times and has 250 yards or less. That's what happened in this one, but the Packers won in part because of some timely receptions and in part because Aaron Jones had a great evening overall. Big big thanks to Gary Zillovic for coming up with stat, that stat uh, to use in the podcast tonight. That is a, a some serious legwork coming up with that one. Um, so shout out to him for that. But the Packers managed to overcome what would normally be a pretty pretty insurmountable object or obstacles for them with uh, Aaron Rodgers putting up the stat line that he did. I don't think he necessarily played bad, uh, but he didn't play necessarily as well as he could have, and the stats didn't look all that exciting. But the Packers win. They are on top of the NFC North, and uh, now things get really interesting. So what does this mean? Well, again, I have to emphasize it one more time. The Packers are NFC North champions. Yes, ta-da. Feels pretty good. And this means that they can't be worse, I think, than the third seed in the NFC playoffs. This game also means that the Packers are currently in possession of the number two seed in the NFC playoffs. Yes, another ta-da. If the Packers win out, they will have no worse than the two seed in the NFC playoffs. They have a better conference record than the New Orleans Saints, the other contender for that spot. And a first-round bye seems pretty darn good right now. Thirdly, the Packers, with this win, remain strongly in the hunt for the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. How great would that feel? Being the number one seed means the playoffs run through Lambeau Field. It also means that the Packers have the pick of the litter out of whoever comes out of the wild card round. The lowest seed will be coming to Lambeau Field if the Packers are the one seed um, after the wild card round. That is a good spot to be when you're starting out just two games away from the Super Bowl. For that to happen, the Packers need to win next week, and then the Seahawks need to beat the 49ers. That may be a big ask. Given the way this season has played out, I think anything is possible. So what happens next? The Packers play the Lions at Lambeau Field. No, excuse me. The Packers play the Lions at Ford Field next Sunday. We already did the Lambeau Field game. It's a noon kickoff. The Lions are pretty bad, and to make matters worse, they've kind of packed it in for the year, it seems, which is unfortunate, but that's the way things go sometimes. So the Packers really just need to take care of business on the road in Detroit, have to emphasize that again, in Detroit, uh, to put themselves in the best position for the playoffs. It seems more and more like a two-seed is a real possibility here, and I would love to see what the Packers can come up with. Should they win out? And I think that seems fairly likely. Let's empty empty out the notebook and then send you off into the good Tuesday whenever you listen to this. Whenever on Tuesday you happen to listen to this, I uh, I hope you, you enjoy it. Maybe you're driving to your Christmas week celebration location. That's what I'm going to be doing on Tuesday. Um, traveling back to the motherland, back to Wisconsin, back to celebrate with people the NFC North Championship. Very exciting. Uh, And I hope you have a good Christmas wherever you end up as well. And again, let's empty out the notebook here. First, Tyler Irvin was cited 
on offense. Yes, he's not just a punt and kick returner. He did do a little bit of work for the Packers on offense. He was on the receiving end of a tap pass from Aaron Rodgers and Ian on at least one other play where they faked the the tap pass to him, the little shuffle pass type type playoff jet motion, and uh, ended up running kind of behind him. Uh, it was interesting to see this this out there. It shows that the Packers, first and foremost, think he can be involved on offense. He's worth putting out there. And second, that they just have absolutely no use for Dexter Williams, even in week 16 of, of this season. Um, I also thought both quarterbacks were getting blamed for stuff that was not necessarily their fault. The announcers did quite a bit of work um, to kind of absolve Kirk Cousins from his awful primetime record, which is totally fair, and they should do that. Uh, Burger McFarland pointed out that a couple weeks ago they had them in a primetime game on a Monday night football game um, against the Seahawks, and Kirk Cousins played well and they lost. Well, is that his fault? Obviously not. Uh, but he gets tagged as, as never winning on Monday night football. He got absolutely no help from his line in this one. And look, I'm not going to be here, uh, sit here and be a Kirk Cousins apologist. They made a mistake, I think, when they gave him the big contract that they did. I don't think he was the guy that you want to give that money to, but that's all beside the point for tonight. I don't think Lamar Jackson could have done a whole lot behind the offensive line that, uh, the, the offensive line performance that the Vikings put out there tonight. It was rough, real rough. And, uh, they just didn't give Cousins much of a chance. Aaron Rodgers was also not great, but a couple plays really hurt him too. Uh, Devontae Adams dropped a pass in the end zone a bit behind, sure, but he still should have caught it. Probably would have been a touchdown too. Then you have Alan Lazard on deep crossing play, uh, making what seems to be a catch, but on review it turns out to be just uh, kind of a run-of-the-mill drop. The Adams play might have turned this one into a rout, uh, and Lazard cost the Packers an explosive play and a shot at some points. Both of those really hurt Aaron Rodgers' stat line. And that's you talk about Aaron Rodgers having a rough game. Maybe he did, but his rough game stat line looks a lot better if you have stuff like that in the box score for you. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned that the Packers were using Alan Lazard as a run blocker in sort of an interesting way. A couple times, I think it was in the Washington game. It may also have been in the Bears game. I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but... Um, they, they started with him split out to one side and then sort of motioned him into like an H back sort of position. So right off the, the backside of the tackle or tight end who happens to be on the side of the line that he, he motioned in on. And in each of the plays where they did that, they had him run block for Aaron, Aaron Jones, essentially a lead blocker, uh, on that play. The Packers did the exact same thing with Devonte Adams tonight, which I thought was a good sign even if it's not necessarily putting a, as good a blocker as Alan Lazard into that, that spot. Uh, I think doing it with somebody other than Lazard at least gives the defenses that you're facing something else to think about. I, I know Devontae Adams is is not even close to as big as Lazard is, but if he can at least be passable in a play like that, uh, it gives you some options because now you can motion guys around in, in some different ways, and he doesn't always have to run block in that situation. Speaking of run blocking, Robert Tanyan had a big block on a big run by Aaron Jones on the Packers' first drive after halftime. I was surprised to see that Jace Sternberger was a healthy scratch. In this one, that meant that the Packers just had Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tanyan active at tight end. So with that in mind, it was good to see Tanyan play well, at least on on that play. 
Uh, speaking of guys that I'm, I'm happy to see play well, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling didn't play much, but he did have big a big impact on at least one significant play. He was uh, a key block on Aaron Jones' 56-yard touchdown run. So that shows, again, that it's not always the box score stuff, not all, always the explosive uh, plays that we track that, that is really a defining factor with, with how effective you can be as a player. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantley shows just tonight that you can have a big impact on the game, even if you're not out there very long, by doing the right thing at the right time. And that was throwing a key block for Aaron Jones that led to a touchdown. Finally, I have to say the caveat first and foremost that I am not a big fan of direct mockery. That said, I can't help but love what Kenny Clark did after he made his sack on Kirk Cousins tonight. Way back in week two, the Vikings scored a touchdown. I think it was on a, on a pass play. Kirk Cousins throws a touchdown pass, and he proceeds to lead the Vikings in what has to be the worst, corniest touchdown celebration you've ever seen. Go look it up. See what it was like back in week two. After Kenny Clark brought down Kirk Cousins, he did what I can only describe as a sarcastic version of that dance, which was just a whole lot of fun to see. Yeah, he's mocking Kirk Cousins. Does Kirk Cousins probably deserve it a little bit for the dance that he did in week two? Yes, he definitely does. So I've got for you in this episode, uh, look for some maybe non-traditional episodes coming into your feed this week, both Wednesday. I know it's Christmas, but it'll be out just so you have it when you're ready. And Friday, just wanted some stuff in your feed for this week. So we worked hard over the weekend to get a couple things in the can for you to listen to over your Christmas holiday week. That, of course, means that we will not have a preview of the Lions game, but we'll be back right on schedule after the Lions game on Sunday, um, recapping that game and then getting set up for whatever is going to happen for the the Packers in the playoffs. And a lot of stuff is going to happen for the Packers next weekend. This is going to be wild. And and boy, isn't this fun? This is a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun with this season and I hope you are as well. Hasn't always been pretty. Wasn't pretty in tonight's game, but hey, a win is a win. The Packers have 12 of them now and they have an NFC North championship to go with it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy the episodes that we put out for you this week. And uh, I hope we are back together after the the Detroit Lions game, celebrating yet another Packers win and a potential one seed for your Green Bay Packers heading into the NFC playoffs. If you like what you heard tonight, leave us a rating and a review. That does help more people find the show. But failing that, just stop by and say hi. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever. Reach out, ask us a question, give us some feedback on the show. We appreciate it. It helps us make the show better and it helps Uh, more Packers fans become smarter Packers fans because as I always say smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be I'm your host John Meerdink we'll see you next time on Blue 58